0: So thrilled to be able to come and share a message from God's Word today. I've been looking forward to this ever since I was asked to do it, and the day has finally arrived. However, I don't know about this young whippersnapper preacher we've got now. (laughs) He stood right here behind this pulpit in front of most of you last week. And he called me old. (laughs) Danny, are we old? No, 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 we're not. Uh, I lost my last, Well, I didn't lose her, I know where she's at, but my last aunt passed away this past week. She was 100 years and six months old. Shirley has one aunt left. I think she's 103. That's old. (laughs) Now, I'm pretty certain that Ben said what he said out of love and respect. So if that's the case, I have to forgive him this time. (laughs) I read this last week. Old preachers, there it is again. Old preachers are like a pair of old shoes. The soul may be weary and worn, but the tongue is still useful. So I'm going to use mine to God's glory today with his help. Oh, excuse me just a minute. Hello, Colleen. You'll be back. Do what the medical people say. I told her I'd say that yesterday. (laughs) She didn't think I'd do it. (laughs) By the way, I love and respect Ben and his family. I'm so thankful they're our preacher. And uh, he's such a blessing. Well, he asked me to kick off a seven-sermon series that we're going to have on some of the Psalms. I thought at first we were going to go through all of them. 150 sermons on this thing? And they say, oh, no, no. It's just seven that we're going to look at. So, okay. Before I get to the text, Psalms 1, I want to talk a little bit about Psalms. When I was uh, in junior high and high school, our youth sponsors, we had a lot of quizzes, Bible quizzes and Bible drills. There were certain facts and things of the Bible they wanted us to know. and So we did a lot of that. Uh, And I remember, like they said, uh, they asked, who who, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Who wrote uh, the Proverbs? Solomon. Who wrote Isaiah? Isaiah. Who wrote the Psalms? And we would answer, David. And we we were always told, okay, that's right. That's the right answer. I don't know how old I was before I finally realized, well, that's really not true. David wrote 73 of the Psalms out of 150, not even half. Pretty close, but but not 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 even half. And uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Asaph. He wrote 12. And I found out he, along with two other guys, Heman and uh, Ethan, they were kind of the trio of song leaders that david had back then and uh, each one of those two guys by the way they wrote one psalm apiece and they would even go out into battle with the soldiers and they they had times of singing and praising the lord right out on the battlefield and these guys also were song leaders in in the temple there there was another guy by the name of Korah and it says in his sons and I don't know anything about them but they wrote 11 of the psalms. Solomon, he wrote two. I remember being surprised when I was told that Moses wrote one of them. The 90th psalm was, was written by Moses and you add all those up, there's 50 more that we have no idea who wrote those. So the... Um, the Jewish people, they had a holy book, the uh, Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law, and that was very, very important to them. But they had another holy book. It was written around the year 500. And it's called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. It was written by two very respected rabbis. And in this uh, Talmud. there are 613 laws. They were all added to the Old Testament, to the, to the Torah. 613 laws. And thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, they study from the Torah every day. Every day. Well, in the Talmud, it is recorded <coughs> that although Psalms 1 was not written by David, it was his favorite psalm. Well, I'd wondered before. I wonder why one is one. Well, how did it get to the top of the list? Well, this could be it. It was his favorite one, so he put her down there first. And I also learned that uh, chapter two is really the same song as chapter one. Chapter one's the first verse, chapter two's the second verse. I didn't know that. Well, we don't have any of the original tunes to any of those songs. I wish we did. I'd love to hear what they sounded like, and uh, I think that'd be great. Uh, one more fact, and then we'll move on from this to the text, but in Psalms, there, there are several major topics, and they just kind of happen over and over again. This Psalm is called uh, the Psalm of Wisdom, and there are several of those, and uh, there's a group called Lament. That's uh, where the people were, they were just in dire circumstances and they were crying out to God. Then there are the Messianic Psalms about the coming Messiah, Jesus. And there are some uh, Psalms on praise, they're easy to figure out. Some on thanksgiving, they're easy to figure out. There's some on encouragement, there's some on repentance. And I think the best one is Psalms 51. Where David repented of his many sins it's a very moving moving uh, chapter and uh, there's some that uh, maybe well I don't know that we've ever been in a situation like this but Israel was there were Psalms where, where, where they were calling down the wrath of God on their enemies and boy to read some of them mm, it's pretty straightforward and you, you know what they're doing Well, I heard Billy Graham say several years ago that every day he, at at that time, he would read five psalms. He would read five psalms every day because that taught him how to get along with God. And then he would read one chapter out of the uh, Proverbs, and he said, that taught me how to get along with my fellow man. I thought, well, that's pretty good, pretty good. Well, enough about those facts. Let's go to Psalms 1. Psalms 1, only six verses. It is part of the wisdom chapters. And uh, let's just read this. We're going to know quite a bit about this when we're done. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners uh, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, regardless how offensive this may sound in our culture today, you read the Bible and it's either or, it's either or, it is not both and. There are two recognitions of reality. There is the supernatural on the one hand and then there is the natural on the other and they're a lot different. There are two conflicting kingdoms in this world even today, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of of, uh, Satan. There are two entry points. There There is the wide gate leading to destruction, and there's the narrow gate that leads to life. The first three verses of Psalms 1, they're talking about the righteous, Verse 4 and 5, they're talking about the ungodly. Verse 6, it talks about both. We see in verse 1 that the godly person, we see what the godly person does not do. In verse 2, we see what the godly person does do. And I want you to note in verse 1, it says the godly person is blessed. In, verse, in the last verse, verse 6, It says the wicked person, the ungodly person, faces destruction. It's either or. Now, it says blessed. That is a call to happiness. Like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, remember he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And all through the Beatitudes has the same pattern. Blessed are for they will. Those who do the will of God will find joy and happiness and will be blessed. I want you to notice that what the godly will not do. Three things. Walk, stand, or sit. Godly person's not going to do those three things. Now, what's he talking about? He's not going to step or walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That means his worldview, his ethical life, his moral decisions are no longer uh, dedicated uh, or dictated by the godless. Then he no longer stands in the way of those that are sinners, the way they take. His identity, his standing, his lifestyle is no longer determined by those who are rebelling against God. They're not having an influence over us We are to have an influence over them. And finally, he no longer sits in the seat of mockers or the scornful. He no longer learns from or judges from the perspective of those who are anti-God. There's a progression of movement here away from God. Listening to the wisdom of the ungodly, walking with them. It leads to identifying with sinners, standing with them which results in being settled or established in their way of thinking and acting. That's just being seated with them and letting them rule. The hymn writer is warning us not to to get started in this downward spiral. We need to avoid the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you run around with. Now, if your influence on them is stronger, that's great. That's the way it ought to be. But so often, the ungodly's influence on us can be very powerful, and we don't even know it at the time because they're our friends. Be careful. There's a big battle going on right now. It's not between the United States and Russia or United States and China, no. This battle is between world views. I didn't even know what that was until I went to Bible college. Your worldview is your whole perception of reality. The world is putting forth a view that is uh, anti-supernatural. That is They're just closed to God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't believe in God. Well, we believe in the Bible. We believe in God. We believe in prayer and faith. We believe in the Holy Spirit and the second coming. We believe in heaven and in hell. And the, the the world and its solely scientific concepts, they laugh at us. Or even worse, I've known Christians be called fools because we're believers. That's what this world concept does. It's interesting to me Those living by science solely they say that we're against science well I'm here to tell you right now I am not anti-science or scientific not at all Uh, I'm all for science except the, the part of it when they say such things as well maybe possibly could be if we think words like that that has kind of doubt in them. And I've read several different things, scientific writings and all. It all sounds good, except they have these words of doubt in there. True science, there will be no doubt. It's fact. And we need to realize that. There have been lots and lots and lots of people that were so-called atheists, and they set out to disprove the Bible and God. I love it when they do that. I really do. Because there have been so many that have tried to do that, but they were really trying hard to find facts. And there's been so many that instead of staying atheists, they be- have become believers. One of my favorite guy is Lee Strobel. He, uh, he was a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune for many years. And he claimed to be a, uh, an atheist. And he really set out to just disprove all of this stuff he hears, this religious talk. <laughs> well, he ended up writing a book, A Case for Christ, where he makes a case like could be put in court And he's all for Christ. There was a man, and he was who he said he was, and all of this. And he's ended up writing books, A Case for Heaven. There is a heaven. And A Case for Faith and Miracles, the Creator, Easter, Grace, Christianity, and several more. Once he got on this thing of finding the truth, he just kept it going. And it's just amazing how his life changed completely. Now, again, you want to question the Bible? That's okay go ahead and do that. I have no problem with that. If you set out to find the truth and you keep digging till you find the truth, I think you'll come out pretty good if you do it right. Now, our text tells us that blessed is the person who comes to the realization of truth. When he sees this fallen world, now he understands about it. Why? And he he comes to to realize the lies and moral failures and and the seductions of Satan. When you really dig into it and try to find the truth, you will find it. And the truth will set you free, Jesus said. Now the negative expression in verse number 1 prepares us for the positive in verse number 2. Here the blessed person has an attitude of delight in the law of the Lord. And it leads him to action. In his law, God's law, it says he meditates day and night. Is it not true that if we delight in a person, we want to be with that person? If we delight in a song, don't we want to sing that song? If we delight in a book, don't we want to read it? As Christians, we are to delight in God's word and we'll want to meditate on it. What is God's answer to Satan's seductions? What is the answer to what all is going on in our world today? What is the answer? It's right here, the word of God, the word of truth. And we need to, to get into that and, and meditate on that. In that book, the Bible, there is truth, there is help, there is guidance, there is hope, there is direction. And when we delight in the Word, we're going to get into it and we're going to enjoy it. We're going to learn from it and we're going to be able to get through this life a whole lot better. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Not that I'm ever dishonest with you, but One of my biggest struggles throughout my life has been at this very point. Now, I love studying for a sermon. I love studying for a lesson. But to just pick up the Bible and sit down and read it for me, I've never been good at that. I know it's important. I know it is needed. I've just not been able to do that. I know that most of what we do is routine. We get into a habit and we do the same things in the same way at the same times. I have several habits. Shirley says I'm predictable. And why I've never gotten into the routine to read and study the Bible just to do it, just for me, I don't know. I know that Satan, he doesn't want us to get into that routine. I know that. And I know he puts up roadblocks to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Well, this morning, first of all, I'm challenging myself. But I also want to challenge you to make some time each day to read the Word. I'm not saying an hour. I'm not saying 30 minutes. Just some time where you can think about heavenly things, godly things. Remember, either our attitudes and actions, they're either molded by God or they're molded by the ungodly, either or one or the other. Well, look at the promise in verse 3. The person who delights in the word of God, it says, and, and, and here, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they do, prosper. What a verse. That person delights in in the Word of God. Now, the most important part of the tree is its root system that goes down into the earth and draws up the much-needed moisture and nourishment. Folks, we need a spiritual root system, a root system that will draw on the hidden resources that we have in Jesus. God offers us living water, the water of life. We, like a tree, we all are supposed to bear fruit. Yeah, yes, a tree can wither and die, but the believer who abides in Jesus, he says here and other places, we will stay fresh and green and fruitful and beautiful in the eyes of God. This verse ends by saying that uh, if we get this right, we're going to prosper Now, who doesn't want to prosper? We will win over the ungodly uh, influences that's trying to affect our life. We will do what God wants us to do. Verses 4 and 5. Okay, not so the wicked. We've been talking about the righteous, hopefully, us. But now he switches. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous they're not going to win in the end, this group of people. Twice he uses the word righteous in those two verses. That's the children of God. But four times he uses the word wicked. Wicked. Here we have the either or. We're either a child of God or we are wicked. I can't imagine anybody, any human being who would, would like to be called wicked. I just, that, I, that doesn't register with me. On the Open Bible webpage, it says the wicked make a virtue of whatever they do. In other words, they don't do anything wrong in their eyes, nothing. And it says whatever they want is good because they want it. But this approach to life is wicked Because it is putting yourself in the place of God. The wicked person says he's completely secure. The wicked are always saying, there's nothing to worry about. That's their definition. I know a lot of good people. A lot of moral people, upstanding people, people with great virtues. But this breaks my heart because in the eyes of God, they are wicked because they haven't listened to him, they haven't responded to him. They really don't care about their relationship with him. They're going to have a horrible uh, surprise one of these days when they stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. The author says that the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. I don't know if you've ever seen this, if you've watched any uh, religious Bible movies at all, I'm certain you have. And every now and then, when I'm watching the news over in the Holy Lands or that area, well, you'll see it. But the women over there, they after the harvest, they'll have this basket, I don't know, approximately that big around and about that deep. And they will put their wheat that has just been harvested or their barley, whatever, in into that basket. And it's amazing to me to watch them because they'll flip that up in the air. And I could never do this. But it goes up and the grain, it just kind of comes right back and falls right back into that basket. Now, they always do this on a windy day because when they throw that up in the air, the chaff that is on the, the kernels, it blows away and they'll just keep doing this, keep doing it until all the chaff is gone. It, uh, like I said, well, they've had a lot of practice, so they know what they're doing, but it it just amazes me so much. Um, (laughs) Kind of reminded me, uh, one time I was watching TV, and this guy, he was flipping pancakes, and uh, man, this guy was good, and he had it in his skillet, and he'd flip it up, and he'd twist it once and then two times and three times and then he got a skillet in the other hand he'd flip it this way and catch it over here I thought good land you kind of know where this is headed don't you (laughs) sometime later I was making pancakes and it came to my mind hey I remember that guy on TV and in my cocky self I thought if he can do it I can do it so I got my pancake already okay here we go and I flipped it and it started up in the air good so far but then that pancake went right over my right shoulder and fell on the floor right behind me I found out that's a lot harder than what that guy made it look like so uh, well I didn't do it again I hate wasting food so so I didn't try that again but the story is about chaff coming off the grain, flying into the air. And that chaff just falls down on the ground out there somewhere. It's not good for anything, not good for anything. And they flip it out there, it goes on the ground. They end up walking on it and forgetting all about it. And that's kind of the real illustration here because it says that the ungodly are like that chaff. The chaff is unwanted. It's useless. It's purposeless. Stuff, and it's blown away. It describes the wicked and the ungodly. So to be severed from the Word of God is to have no root, no nourishment, no fruit, no life no future. The writer says the wicked, the ungodly have no future and they have no present. I don't think that I'd ever noticed this before I got into this. They have no, they're not prepared for the future judgment. They don't have an advocate. They don't have a savior. They're loaded down with their sins and no help is available. And presently says they're not uh, assembled with the righteous. Righteous. What is the assembly of the righteous? Well, today it's the church. It's us here today. It's where people gather together, children of God gather together, and they worship him and who do their best to put him first every day of their lives. The wicked, the ungodly, the lost that are out in the world, they're doing their own thing, putting their own priorities first, not really caring about what God says and what he wants done. The ungodly will experience a bitter hopelessness before the coming judgment. And right now in the present, they've alienated themselves. They're missing out on the joy of knowing what they have done and are doing is for the Lord. They're missing out on the joy and happiness we have in our hearts. They're missing out on community being a part of the wonderful family of God. They're not here. Unfortunately, they are separated from God and God's people. And to me, that is so, so sad and so disheartening. We're called to be blessed. But in that, let's be honest, we have a problem. This has all sounded good kind of up till now, but we got a problem with this. Who can turn a deaf ear to all the ungodliness in our secular society? I don't think any of us can. Who can meditate on the Word of God night and day? Who can be fruitful and ever-growing and evergreen? We can't fulfill this high calling he's giving us here. But I want you to take heart this morning because somebody can, somebody has. This very high calling has been understood and completed by Jesus himself. It is he who lives in perfect communion with God, the Father. It is he who delights in the word of God all of the time. It is he who prospers in all of his ways. In Jesus, we become the blessed person in Psalms 1. He is the God-man who fulfills divine demand and incorporates us into his divine life. It is he who gives us his own righteousness. As we live in communion with him, we will be that tree that is planted by the waters and our way will be known to the Lord. As we live in communion with Jesus, his psalms become our psalms. And the road to happiness and blessing is ours through Jesus. As I said earlier, Psalms 1 is classified as a wisdom psalm. The wisdom psalms are a group of psalms that teach us to develop a long-term mindset. We are fixing our hearts and our minds on what is truly important. We need to rise to the challenge of running a marathon, the marathon of life. And we need to stay on the straight and narrow way. And we are, and we're giving it our best because our eyes, they're on the finish line. We know what's ahead for the children of God. And we're not going to take our eyes off of that or quit giving all of our strength to acquire that at all. I've said many times, I'm my own worst enemy. And I'm going to say that about you, too. You are your own worst enemy. You see, we know a lot of what's in the Bible, not everything, but a lot. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know the difference between good and bad. The sad thing, we uh, could, and maybe we do. I know I do. We have to say what the Apostle Paul said. You see, each one of us, we have a spiritual nature and a and a, a, a spiritual nature and a sinful nature. And there's a battle between those things all through our lives. Every day, if we're honest. This battle keeps raging within our hearts and minds. And Paul wrote here in the seventh chapter of Romans, beginning with verse 15. See if you relate to this. He says, I do not understand what I do. Have you ever said that? I don't understand what I do sometimes. For what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate, I do it. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living within me. Now, this is a great apostle Paul. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not want to do, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I've been down that road many, 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 many times. And I don't understand it any more than Paul does. Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? Why am I acting this way? I know better. But there's that battle that is going on inside. When, uh, when I think of wisdom, I always think of one man Who's that? Solomon. Yeah. Over here in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in, let's see, here in verse 5, God is talking to him and he says, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Make a wish and it'll be yours. Okay, then we drop down to verse number 9. So give your uh, servant here, it's translated discernment, it's the word wisdom. Give, Give your servant wisdom. Uh, a discerning heart of wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern a great people is yours. All right. Now, after that, we see in verse 12, he says here, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will uh, will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be God gave him a wish. He asked for wisdom. I've always wondered, if God told me I could have one wish, what would I ask for? I don't know. But evidently, he did the right thing and asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. But there's one thing that has always stood out in my mind when I think of Solomon. He was a wise man. He did unbelievable things. He accomplished a lot of good, a lot of good. But... He failed. He failed. In the 11th chapter, we see in the first part of the 11th chapter, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth. All of those women, their daddies were kings or up there. And 300 concubines and his wives led him astray as Solomon grew old his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father was he followed Asherah the goddess of the Sidonians and Moloch a detestable god of the Ammonites so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord he did not follow the Lord completely isn't that sad here's the smartest guy that ever lived He prayed for wisdom. He was given wisdom. He showed what wisdom can do. And then he blew it. He blew it. Now, how did he do that? Well, he had two natures inside, and they were battling back and forth. And at that point in his life, instead of listening to God and trying to be righteous, he let the ungodliness come in and that influence. Now, it's great to get gifts from God. It's great to get blessings. It'd be great to have wisdom. But what are, what good are these things if we don't listen to them and use them? And that's what happened to Solomon. He was going great there for a while, and then he just stopped, and he didn't use. He still had wisdom available but it just stopped and uh, it was downhill from there i found the definition of wisdom is following god and i hope you will if you want to be blessed if you want to go to heaven if you want to prosper if you want to be counted among the righteous then follow the lord put it make it a priority Don't go back. Keep going forward just to the best of your ability. You're going to get perfect all the time? No way. But just do your best, and he'll sustain you along the way. I've had lots and lots of challenges throughout my life. I would have never become what I am today without the Lord's constant presence and guidance and help and love. I know that. And I can say I don't regret one thing about following Jesus. Has it always been easy? Nope. But even through the tough times, we can learn and grow and see that he will keep his promises and he is by our side. Well, that's my sermon. If you want to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you can talk to any of us that are on staff. You can talk to any of the elders. Uh, matter of fact, Alex, he has a class once a month on this very subject, and bring your questions, uh, come and, and listen and learn. Every one of us here today, in God's sight,'re either righteous or ungodly. One or the other? We're either children of God or we're wicked? Please be wise. Think about this psalm. Pray about this psalm. Let it change your life and eternal destination for good. Remember what it says in verse number six, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Yes, he does. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Either or, and it's all up to you what decision are you going to make father i thank you so much for the opportunity of standing here before these good people and sharing together your word and trying to understand it better and trying to learn it so we can apply it oh my prayer is that everyone here is a child of god a righteous But yet, when I think about that a little bit, no, I I don't hope that everybody here is in that situation. I pray that there's new people, people that maybe don't quite understand what this Christianity is all about. Maybe they came today seeking, wanting to learn. Oh, I wish there'd be dozens and dozens of folks like this, people that we can teach and love and lead to you and then grow together in the great family of God I don't know who's all here but you do Lord and I know your Holy Spirit is at work here this morning and I pray that you will touch hearts and motivate hearts and this might be a very 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 special day to some people here for it's in Jesus name I pray, Amen